0: Hey everybody, I am, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to invite you all to a very special bonus episode of Live From Tomorrow. I am your host, uh, creator and writer Matt Hooper, and this is our first ever uh, behind-the-scenes style episode. I am joined here on this lovely snowy afternoon, uh, virtually, by uh, songwriters and lyricists Ben Easton and Mark Levy. Ben is also our composer for the show. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us here today.
1: Thank you. Glad to be
0: here. So we're coming up on the five-year, this February 14th, Valentine's Day, special day of five-year anniversary of working together through all iterations of life from Tomorrow. Now, a lot of our listeners discovered us last season uh, this is our, we just wrapped our second season when we started the live from tomorrow podcast, but live from tomorrow was for years before that a live event. So, uh, how did we all connect all the way back when, and what was that experience like for, for you guys five years ago this month? Matt,
1: I think, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, you and I first met or what around 2014 at uh, a show for the band the academy blues project of which Mark and I are both core members uh so I think we met up at an academy blues project show and uh if if I do recall as well without tooting our own horn you 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 got to know the band and our music and became became a fan so that that I believe was our first introduction uh kind of knowing us through what we were already kind of creating as our own our own independent entity here in New York. Does that ring true for you, Mark?
2: Yeah, that, that jives with my recollection of it. I think <laughs> it was all, uh, you know, at a show on the Lower East Side when, you know, we first got put in touch and the three of us just got to talking. And I I would say really in that first conversation, or maybe it was after the second show that you came to, Matt. We started talking about how, you know, you did this live show called Live from Tomorrow and how you were thinking about getting together a house band to join those live performances and kind of add a musical element to the show. So, needless to say, Ben and I, uh, our eyebrows went up and our, our ears perked up, and we said, hey, that seems like something we'd be into.
0: Yeah, that 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 that's my memory as well. And feel free to toot your own horn. Academy Blues Project <laughs> is a great is a great band. I mean, you guys have a, a great sound um, for for so many reasons. One of which is the diversity of the sound itself. You sound uh, like like many different uh, bands sometimes at your best, but you have a core wit and heart through all of your songs. Um, and I thought that was important to bring into a live show. But Mark, uh, you had a great line recently that was like, you didn't really know what the hell startups did or what an ecosystem was or what any of these terms meant back when you first did the show. And I think for, for a lot of our listeners who also struggle with that, what so it was exciting to be a house band. I get that. But like, what about a show that tried to combine tech and comedy, or I think as we were pitching it back then, sort of Saturday Night Live meets Shark Tank, I think that was still our logline, um, our elevator pitch, what, what, what was appealing about that? Given how sort of newly formed it was, we'd only ever done two live from tomorrow shows before you all joined for the, for the third live show.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I think to a certain degree, it was the excitement of having this baptism by fire and, and just diving right in to write some music or at least provide Musical background to the sketches and and all the components of that live show. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of listeners to the the current version of Live from Tomorrow in podcast form may realize, but early on those live shows, it wasn't just sketches and it wasn't just um, you know interviews. There were also you know uh, game show components to them. Sometimes there were uh, these uh, pre recorded videos that we'd have to have the intro and outro music for and guest walk on music, things of that nature that nowadays in the podcast form, we don't really have anymore. So looking at that hodgepodge of required music for the show, I think Ben and I were just up for the challenge and said, Hey, you know, we're a pretty well-rehearsed rock band that plays a lot of shows in that format but we've never really taken on this house band role in anything and and that'll be a really good challenge for us and frankly you know the subject matter in terms of learning about tech as we went along just kind of came naturally it it wasn't as much of a a challenge to just be open-minded and have our antenna up so to speak and you know over the last five years i'd say we we've picked up a lot of uh, vocabulary that you've thrown at us and (laughs) hasn't phased
1: us. Yeah. Uh, beyond the practical sort of challenge and excitement of being a house band in any context, just the four of us as a, as a rhythm section, uh, that's myself, Mark Levy, Trevor Brown, and Jim Bloom. Those are the the four members of ABB. Uh, yeah, we, yes, the core four. We, we also, uh, just thought it would be a cool opportunity to sort of approach our songwriting in a different way. Uh, you know, we, we write sort of songs in our own, you know, I guess I would say musical universe kind of from from a rock perspective, but uh, to sort of take what was effectively a, a curriculum to us and sort of uh, feed it back to, to folks in, in, a, in a way that might be new or exciting felt like a felt like a novel experience to us
0: it's so weird because this has become such a personal thing for for me like i was saying the other day to someone like if you told me in july 2015 uh or or dimitri cavaro shout out to our great friend dimitri who who co-created the meetup with me um like hey in five and a half years you'll still be doing some version of this thing that would be weird in the spring of 2015 I'm trying to get my years right here. 2020 was so weird. It threw all my years off. But in the spring of 2017 was the first time we had an opportunity to work with a corporate sponsor. I left my job at Barclays shortly thereafter. And in July 2017, we had our very first sponsored live from tomorrow, sponsored by the good folks at IBM Blockchain, with whom I've subsequently had a many years long relationship. The show was called Blockchain for Business. And I think that showed it two things. Um, it was the first show we did at a real proper theater, uh, three things, if you include the fact that it was our first sponsored show. So it was our first sponsored show. It was the first show we did in a, in a theater. We worked at subculture and it was also the first time of way too many that you guys had to write original songs about blockchain. So, so uh, what was your experience then? And, and for me, that was a seismic shift in my own life and career because suddenly I was being paid to shape this variety show into something with a theme, right, around one idea. But what was it like for you? Because, pre, you know, previously we hadn't leaned as heavily on original songwriting. As I said, we'd only been in co-working spaces, not theaters. You know, what, what was what was that journey like from, from your perspective?
1: I feel like, especially once we started working on sort of more focused subjects like, like blockchain, uh, it just felt like this really sort of singular kind of like symbiotic relationship uh, where we're lear- learning about this technology uh, sort of in real time and then not only learning about it, but being expected to uh, sort of flip it back in, in a unique way and maybe and maybe give the audience sort of its own new vocabulary just as we're getting it on our end. So in, in this case, uh, I feel like we, brought in a lot of new influences to the music that was part of the project, some, some uh, theatrical skewing songs, some, uh, you know, inspired by specific musicals or theater pieces, kind of incorporating new, new styles of writing for the band and for the two of us. So that, that was sort of, that definitely came into the process when we started working on the shows, particularly about blockchain. It was sort of a, a, a step up for us, both in terms of content and scale.
0: And Ben, talk to me about your experience uh, writing chaining all the blocks.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so I, I'm a I'm a big Sondheim guy. In addition to, to being uh, skewing towards the rock and the pop, uh, and I, I I guess the prompt was what, what Toshi Yoshi? <laughs> what is
0: this? So, yes. Uh, so Satoshi, Satoshi. The, the, okay. the the rumored creator. Yes. Sorry, not rumor, but the, the, the creator of the original <laughs> blockchain white paper who was rumored to be any number of Got people That's it. His that identity is still a mystery. I, cl- yeah. I
1: clearly still have uh, some, some gaps to fill in and things, things I didn't learn back in 2017. <laughs> anyway, the, 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 initial, uh, the initial prompt when we were sort of assembling this show for IBM about uh, to introduce blockchain in this context uh, was that Satoshi may or may not sort of parallel the enigmatic presence of one George Surratt, the star of Sunday in the Park with George, as as interpreted by Mandy Patinkin, of which I know we're both shared fans. Uh, so there's sort of a, a yearning, uh, an artistry, a delicacy. So we tried to kind of refract that back uh, through through song uh, while also describing the possibilities of blockchain Uh It was, it was a unique experience to say, to say the least. Uh, And, and to be able to play it with the band was, was a treat.
0: Yeah. It was also like, it was one of those moments where, cause I'm just so emphatically not a singer and I just sort of thought like, oh wow, we're actually opening this with a proper parody, but like all good parody and particularly like your great parody it's just, it's more of an homage than anything. Like it actually was its own yeah, very it cer- pretty song. Yeah, it certainly song. felt,
1: sorry to cut you off, but it certainly felt, uh, uh, you know, like our song, like, like the band's material, something specific to this show. Not, not hopefully not just, uh, you know, bringing in our own spirit there too. Not not just an homage to the Surat vibes.
0: I, I don't know, Leonard. I, I think I'm going to stay home tonight and work on my blockchain project. You're going to lose your family, Satoshi. Well, and I think that's, that's what I'm getting at. We're like, because of that, I had to step it up. We all had to step, you know what I mean? Like, like that, 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 and that's what's so exciting about that kind of moment. You think this could be funny if, and then suddenly, oh, wait, I actually have to now sing this song with all the earnestness of of, of sort of a, a, a down on his luck creator but it's about decentralized uh, the, the possibility of a decentralized internet, <laughs> which is very who, unusual. Who knew,
1: who knew those worlds would collide?
0: Yes, I see it all unlinked. Oh, how it could all be linked. How it could help me form a link in a chain of common good, productivity for good. A sequence bordering perfection, stacked, linked, making a connection And finally chained together In a way I always knew we could Chaining all the blocks How you're poised to chain all the blocks When the model is in disarray, you must disrupt and rebuild until you've chained all the blocks. So we're picking up more cast members. We're sort of moving on. And then I remember the moment when, I keep giving the shout outs here, maybe it's because I'm a creature of the early 2000s and I'm not yet aware that's not a cool expression anymore. Um, But the incredible and and really brilliantly creative Mark Garbarini at IBM, with whom I worked on a number of, of projects, as I was, as I was mentioning a moment ago, blockchain week and b- back when the world was still open and people could gather blockchain week, NYC was, was a thing. It was, it was a a major, I'm trying to figure out what it might be like, sort of like, a, almost like a Sundance film festival or, uh, or like <laughs> fleet week for, for blockchain enthusiasts to, to descend upon New York. And because we'd written such sort of wonky blockchain based comedy, uh, he had this idea, Mark, Mark kept saying, you guys are like vaudeville meets tech. We should do a big event, uh, but really have it be a big blowout event for all of our customers and clients. And I was like, okay, it sounds like we're gonna host a some like some kind of a networking program. Like I didn't really know that it would be content exclusive. And he suggested we do what we had all done for blockchain for business at, at a greater scale and that yielded our biggest live show to date which was blockchain on broadway performed in May 2019 during blockchain week for hundreds of of, of guests who came for basically a, a full on theatrical experience we had the full marquee remember it was all lit up
2: at the historic edison ball right?
0: yes so that was really surreal also uh, having been at Barclays for, for so long earlier uh, in the fall of 2016, we had the Barclays accelerator demo day at the Edison ballroom. And I, and I had to open up the event. I was the MC for the beginning of it. And I thought like, wow, this would be kind of wild if I ever came back here, what a historic venue. So to be the only yeah. reason, you know, you know, we were the main event. That was a little bit uh, surreal. What are some of your memories of, of pulling that together? Given that suddenly, we were like a, we were on steroids right we we had a very different size scope and series of responsibilities for on that a show.
1: on a practical level i'll say that that was the first show where we brought in a horn player <laughs> uh, to to all, to to, yeah, to beef up the band true. yeah the, the wood, great dan Danny Lipsitz on on the sax and woodwinds to uh to beef up the sound and give it that broadway chamber orchestra vibe uh, i i do remember around that time i had actually through a documentary called bathtubs over Broadway, which I highly recommend had kind of come upon this whole lineage for lack of a better term of industrial musicals. And it just sort of happened to parallel the time when we were making the content for this show. Uh, And specifically, I I, I'm not sure if IBM was sort of a part of that legacy, but through the mid 20th century and honestly up, up through the nineties and the two thousands there were, hundreds of companies uh, in the States that would commission these sort of internal massive stage productions. Often they were staged at conventions or, you know, meetup weeks like this. Uh, And often they had full on narrative arcs and and, and intermission uh, ever, you know, the trappings of of a usual stage musical or a Broadway style review. Uh, And so, just to have some shot at making something of that scale for this sort of very specific uh, vibe, this very specific cause uh, for an audience who is actually passionate about this, you know, the, the subject matter. The world at large may not uh, have latched onto blockchain, but the attendees at Blockchain on Broadway sure did.
2: Yeah, I will. I will add on to that, that, you know, as not to bury the lead, like the title of the show and, you know, the big, big marquee event was blockchain on Broadway. So we really did for the first time just go all in on, you know, the camp and the musical theater and the just really trying to give people like songs they could, you know, whistle down the aisle on their way out the door. And uh, I I think on record, it's the, you know, first time at a uh, blockchain show that you told me afterwards, Matt, that people were singing the refrain from the the finale to you, you know, for a a day or two after
3: that show. Go Go supply chain. If you've heard this one before Packages delivered right to our doors Tell me where out in the world are the stores Must we pay shipping we can't afford? No, we can strive to do more That's what blockchain is for
2: And that that show, especially those two blockchain shows, actually, were all about kind of making it a little more accessible. Uh, I remember a lot of the songs, you know, we were the ones writing them. And in a lot of ways, we could only synthesize so much from a technical side of the subject matter. We really tried to make it as, you know, just uh, entry level as possible. Honestly, I would say, you know, the most important takeaway for the blockchain on Broadway show, at least from my perspective, is that it really assembled all of the final pieces that would then send us off into the podcast realm. We had the bulk of the cast. We were writing musical theater style, you know, numbers within a story arc that, uh, you know, had a beginning, a middle and an end. And on top of it, we kind of realized that, hey, You know, this is something that people can actually engage in on more than just a, you know, this is a corporate event and I'm coming in, I'm sitting down, I'm watching the show and then I'm leaving and never thinking about it again. It seemed like it was leaving more of an impression than that would suggest. And I think, you know, from my perspective as an outsider who's not in the tech world, I just can't imagine that any other tech event looked quite like that blockchain on Broadway one, you know, no matter where you go, that was a pretty singular event. And I think that's kind of what launched us into the more long form discussions about the, uh, the podcast. And when we, you know, started entering that realm, how we were going to translate this live show into something that harnessed the best of that, the story arc, the musical theater reference and, uh, and vocabulary used.
0: Live from tomorrow, we'll be back after a short break. But this idea that we could tell a story through song with act breaks and musical transitions did feel fun and also felt like a way to kind of graduate, uh, the form. You know, we'd spend all this time building an audience live. How do we graduate that into something scalable and audio, not just because of you know, it's obviously easier to record something that's audio only than get all the visuals too. Um, we also just felt like a natural extension of that, you know, this sort of bingeable two act uh, quasi radio play, and and that became, of course, season one of the Life from Tomorrow podcast.
1: I will say, I will say real quick though that even though in form this this season for season one of the podcast felt. Uh, you know, as as true to a, a musical with a capital M form uh, as we'd ever, as close to that as we'd ever gotten. I do feel like it was also the point where we sort of uh, fused all of the styles that we'd been working with. Like the, the form of, of the series is a musical. It follows a narrative. It has a, uh, effectively an act break in the middle, uh, but it kind of combines the ABP rhythm section vibe uh with you know some more theatrical song elements uh and i feel like matt too it's where you are kind of maybe able to synergize kind of the creative spark of of the innovators that you're working with and you're you're uh collaborating with with kind of the creative energy that that i would like to think we're bringing to the project too where those where those uh, sort of organically started to really really jive with each other
0: I agree. I particularly agree about the fact that it was sort of organic, like the, the the plot was a kind of meta plot about me leaving my corporate job to become an innovation song and dance man. So sort of very similar to the story. We just told this conversation that felt like a fun thing to hang things on. There were a lot of ideas that I had that were not ultimately used, namely because, as Mark, you pointed out, I remember saying, if it's a musical, it has to be a love story. Which I had never yes. ever considered. I was like, "Oh right, this has to be a thing people actually like." Right, yeah. right, right. You need um, that buy-in. Y- you need you need to care about people. I was also very proud of uh, of just the energy that we we jumped in with. So Ben, tell me a little bit about the experience of writing "We Are Live from Tomorrow" because a musical is is really as strong as its as its first song. You know. <laughs>
1: yes. Uh, well, first of all, I knew we'd have to involve. As many voices as possible, we've got our, our protagonist Matt, uh, and then the the chorus of innovators at the coffee shop in Midtown, who all arise from arise from their seats to join in song. Uh, but you know, behind all of that, the musical energy we tried tried to give it sort of a classic ABP uh, rock energy too. So I, I feel like that song was actually you know it, it it leaned on some tropes pretty heavily, but it's also it's also got our stamp on it and i think as as I was mentioning before uh, this particular project season one, it was nice to be able to tell a story of innovators in song instead of uh you know focusing on the technology it, it was it was sort of the human story behind. Uh, A lot of this work, which was nice to sort of explore. It was, it was fun for us. It was funny. And it also kind of, you know, brought us to some new places.
2: Yeah. Amen to that. I think instead of writing the songs about the technology specifically, we got to kind of split the difference and, and write some songs about that, but then this whole new crop of songs about the people and that that was huge for us because it allows you to to dig a little bit deeper as a songwriter rather than just you know hit a bunch of uh bullet points that you really wanted to get into the song to get across about the technology in question when you're writing the human element you really have to appeal to people emotionally and I think that this the first season really opened the door to that in writing for LFT.
0: Folks need to know that there are people trying to innovate even in the most bureaucratic institutions. Their good people with innovative visions are everywhere if you just know where to look. The world that we all know is static with more problems and solutions we fear. And when solutions take hold, they become problems of old. Like we're stuck in a mirror whose view is rear. Does power corrupt the ones once more old? Will AI come for all of our jobs? Are you strapped with heavy debt, worried about the climate, or fatigued by Wi-Fi enabled thingamabobs? But if it's really that hopeless, and the world's filled with movers if we're all just resigned to our fate, then why do i feel the rush and the pull and the flush of excitement that comes when we innovate we are live from tomorrow when we're sending forth a missive for today making big plans for a future where tomorrows are more than just okay tomorrow's not last tuesday so hey let's make it great by boarding with folks who 98. We are live from tomorrow, and it starts with the spark today. Where Dorothy is a screenwriter, Jimmy here also works at an investment bank, just like I used to. My name is Peter. Tomato, potato. And why are you in this coffee shop in the middle of a Friday morning, Jimmy?
2: Well, I'm playing hooky, Matt. Uh, my day job doesn't
0: challenge me. I hear you. And what about you, ma'am? What brings you in here today?
1: Well, my name's Lila, and I'm the founder of a startup. My college roommate's mother is a venture capitalist, so I'm here meeting with her regarding the possibility of investment.
3: I've got a tenuous connection to help me bring my dream to life. All the pitching to and bitching from my stars, it's throwing me stride. But through the muck, I've got a vision, a VR world where all can sing. Can I sway these VC chums to help the world belt seven rings? I want it, I got it. I'm in a dead-end day job vacuum, just sucking up a stream of crap. They say I'm a banker, I've got a nice suit, but I can tell my mind's just going swap. I told the bosses that fintech partners could help us actually keep the pace. But will these codgers let my ideas finally be embraced? We are alive from tomorrow, and we're sending out a message to our friends. Today's the day to
0: are sounding great. Ben, another, uh, masterful song that you wrote, uh, was a, I think the first true ballad of the season and maybe the first true ballad of this new sort of podcast musical format we were quasi inventing as we went along. And that's a song that comes at the end of episode two. It's not the right climate to talk about us. Uh, when I had the sort of punny title idea, uh, knowing what the story was about in that episode, I thought that you guys would would, would would take it and run with it. You both have punny specialties. Uh Mark will get to you some of your songs in a moment, you are an especially punny writer. But but Ben, there is a real uh beauty in this song that kind of floored me the first time I heard it. I think Kelly did an incredible job with it. It's a it's a very moving song. So what was some of the the context around that and, and the writing of it?
1: Uh yeah, I mean that that song is definitely one that's skewing a little more uh, theatrical, trying to, trying to give uh, sort of a heightened voice to these characters, definitely sort of uh, a West Side Story and I Want song vibe. That's that's one of those classic classic forms for you. Um, and I think just connecting some of these individual characters and and kind of you know the 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 world of tech and innovation. Uh, to kind of this larger environmental story, kind of pulling pulling some of the larger themes of the season uh, together in sort of an intimate song. So I tried to tried to have something that was pretty reduced and distilled, but but spoke to some broader ideas. Yeah, as well. and at the
0: time, so the the plot there for anyone unfamiliar with the first season is that Matt and Sally, uh, no longer together, are kept apart. Sort of yeah, R- Romeo and Juliet, Tony and Maria style, because she is joining her family's coal business, and which is anti-innovative from Matt's perspective, and obviously terrible for the climate. Uh, but but the coal business itself is pivoting, and, and Matt gets really excited, thinking that they're going to become innovative. Maybe they'll actually get on the right side of history. But they're becoming crypto miners. Which is also really, really bad for the environment. So no matter what Sally is choosing to be uh, sort of tone deaf to the needs of climate innovation, that's breaking Matt's heart, and so it's, so the, the, the ultimately it leaves them in a place where it's not the right climate to talk about them, for, for the, them to be together.
1: The forces of, uh, of politics are are wrenching them apart.
3: I know that you say that it's not the right time But when is the hour ever more than just fine? (laughs) It's about living among, not living above You've got to understand who you are and where you come from
0: If I could just learn to survive in your among-it-all world A place where we abide, not yearning yen I know the climate can't cause us to all uproot our lives. But if not here and now, then where and when? Oh, Matt. It's not the right climate
3: to talk about us. It's a journey much too far afield. Even if our chariot out was a fossil fuel free bus, there's still a lot of runoff to conceal when the time to move on and when the levees break i'll find a place to make my life anew but until then there's people living lives here rich and full so for now let's settle on that it's the right climate for me
0: just not for you oh sally why can't you just move on from this place the future's gleaming bright beyond the West Virginia hills.
3: See, that's what you think, Matt, but it's a lot more complicated than that. You don't understand the full picture.
0: And, and moving along here in, in season one, it's fun to sort of flash back on that. This was, of course, the season that we recorded live. We recorded this in person in a, in a midtown rehearsal space to give it that live atmospheric feel, right? It sounds like a, a cast album. Um, Mark, this was when we were introduced to your long-running character, Pat Dreyfus. Uh, who has a a beautiful song right at the top of episode three, which in many ways is the heart of so many of the themes that we talk about in this show. I I often say that there's something elegic about innovation just on the face of it, right? Because for every time there's something new and exciting, there has to be something that's old and dying, right? I mean, that's just how things work Um, to talk a little bit about this song. And also this was a song that you not only wrote, but you performed in character. Yeah, uh,
2: that was definitely, obviously, a first for the podcast, um, you know, to be not only playing a character, but singing the song and delivering it, not just as me in my resting Mark Levy voice, but uh, as Pat Dreyfus. So that, that was a new one for me. And I remember when you first described his role in the show, I I took a lot of that and put it into the song. His role is kind of like this emeritus person in the tech industry whose you know, background, uh, or sorry, not in the tech industry in the case of his character, but just an aging baby boomer who really doesn't want to be made irrelevant. He has a lot left to give, he has a lot left to do, and he really wants to put his best foot forward and help the new generation rather than just be replaced and left behind as an artifact of what once was. I I think that uh, with most LFT songs, the ones that always excite me the most are the ones that we didn't even know we had in us. As songwriters. And I'm speaking not just for my songs, but also for Ben's where it's like, sometimes I'll hear one of his songs and I'll just be like, man, what way to nail it. Like, that's exactly what this scene needed or this episode needed to really take it to the next level. And uh, those are the songs that I think that we chase after as songwriters. Not to speak for Ben, but I think that those songs, when, when you put pen to paper and you hear it in the finished episode, you kind of sit back and say, I can be proud of that one.
3: Unplanned obsolescence That's the crime for which before you I stand just an old man in the present trying to get along the best he can. I can remember a time when they called me a wonderkind and life of the party. I used to be the man sent to close the deal back when business was done face to face and not over email those were boom times baby booms loads were oh yeah I was too transistor radios and vacuum Only three TV stations, but we sure walked on the moon. While I'm alive, unplanned, obsolescence, yeah, that's the only thing for which I did not plan. Just an old man in the present mm, trying to get along best he can. I have tried to find work with the big tech companies, but it seems no use for a dinosaur like me, a titan of industry, reduced to a sad clown. I gotta stay humble, but my world is upside down all no boom time for this baby boomer with his out-of-work wife and college-aged daughter. But rather than go out quiet like a sheep to slaughter, I'm gonna give it my best. While I'm alive, on play obsolescence, that's the crime for which I stand. Just an old man in the present, trying to get along
0: the best I. Live from tomorrow, we'll be back after a short break. Now, speaking of things we're proud of uh, and, and that sort of keep challenging us, we had a big challenge ahead of us going into the second season of the podcast, namely because uh, th- there there was no evidence that we'd necessarily have a second season when we made the first season, right? It was a complete story. And it was and we have this wonderful relationship with the the podglomerate uh, who became our distributor. And it was like, oh, if we have an audience, which we now do and we've built something, which we have and we're proud of it, which we are. Why don't you do more? And so what I'm especially proud of in this most recent season was it was a chance to uh, do kind of the best of what we had done live with the best of the first season i.e. use a cast of characters to explore a number of themes via sketches, and so the music had a different role this season, but but in many ways just as important, if not more important. What was, Ben, I'll start with you, what were some of your memories of, and at this point it's just a few months ago, kicking around the way we would approach the songs for season two?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I I mentioned earlier season one was sort of the the place where we fused a lot of the Styles, uh, I feel that season two this last season was where we were able to really effectively fuse formats, and that includes uh yeah the 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 role of music, so it was it it we had some moments where the song would serve the narrative of a given sketch, uh, but we also talked a lot about having uh, a true band voice kind of come back in in the same way that we would author or produce our own records. uh we wanted to kind of have. The music, uh, comment in the moment, but also comment about larger ideas, almost as an omniscient, uh, an omniscient narrator, sort of paralleling your voice in the story, Matt, as host and as as a character in the show as well. Uh, so, initially, our our big reference point there was Simon and Garfunkel in The Graduate, sort of. Uh, I don't want to say resigned, but. But kind of like a a, a cultural commentary uh, on on the world we're inhabiting, both fictional and of of this very strange present moment. So there was a lot of talk about kind of capturing uh, the narrative energy, but also kind of this this spirit. Uh, then we tried to incorporate all of that into the music.
2: Yeah, and even writing with that understanding, you know, just to give uh, listeners an idea of the workflow. Whereas for the entire first season, you know, that was a marathon couple of days in a midtown, you know, rehearsal studio, recording studio to get, you know, that cast album of all the songs and all of the dialogue for the first season together. So that was done in person. And so to transition to this fully remote work setup for season two, we kind of had to say, okay, all of the band members who are contributing you know to each song are going to have to do it autonomously from their own apartment record their thing and we're going to have to you know frankenstein all of these bits and pieces together not just as songwriters but as you know recording artists and uh edit it all together to make it sound like a coherent song so it was definitely uh, an adjustment and i think that you know Between Ben and I just saying, hey, you know, we we can get ahead of the curve here. Here's what we're going to need in order to facilitate that. And uh, you're, you know, uh, always, Matt, just uh, in terms of always making sure we have all the tools we need to be creative and to, uh, you know, uh, put our best foot forward that way. I, I think that it was something that we were able to just pull off without a hitch and not miss a beat on because you realized, hey, to make this happen, we gotta give it our all, and we have to have the resources needed to do that. So kudos to you for for running the LFT machine uh, and enabling all of us, not just the songwriters and the you know the recording artists, but also the actors and everything, to just uh, do this remotely
0: um so what what's going on in episode two for this season, which contains our very first song Ben, uh, a song I happen to really love uh museum museum daydream parentheses the nest egg song
1: <laughs> yeah i mean this this one uh right out of the gate we we had the full band on board uh we were all recording remotely it definitely has uh tried to tried to capture some generational malaise in the form of psychedelic rock <laughs> uh so yes yeah while, while while talking about saving a nest egg for the future so it this this song i feel like was really uh, a nice fusion of of all all things lft both bring in abp's voice to the mix uh talking about you know i'm gonna be jokey here but hashtag real world problems of saving money uh and, and also trying to bring some narrative element that hopefully uh, might benefit the listener, might benefit even those of us on the show as we're trying to synthesize uh, the, the anxiety, the tension around around uh, building towards a better future. It, in context, this song uh, appears in one of the throw not throwbacks, I guess throw forwards, uh to tomorrow as the initial episodes were doing, uh throwing to an imagined version of the future. And we are in, correct me if I'm wrong with the title here, the Hall of the, the, the
0: Museum of American Anxiety. The Museum of
1: American Anxiety. So the uh the exhibitions that Matt and Moana and
0: my children in the future are named Moana and Duchovny. Yes. Yeah,
1: so the so the whole gang is roaming through the the uh, Museum of American Anxiety, and what what a strange setup. So uh, right out of the right out right out of sorry to be frank, but just right out of the gate, I wanted to try to give a, a musical moment to kind of match that zany energy, but also hopefully get to the heart, uh, however obtusely of of something hopefully true or resonant for, for folks listening.
0: For sure. And I think uh, for, for anyone curious who hasn't had a chance to go back and listen to this episode of this season uh, you're also going to hear a little bit of my voice because it's uh, it's, this was a a fun thing. We started to do the season also, which was intercut the narrative into the song, right? So I'm panicking about the fact that I haven't really built a nest egg for my children. I, I still have anxiety, but the whole, the whole idea of the Museum of American Anxiety is that in the future there is no more anxiety. Everyone's anxiety has, has been uploaded to the cloud, and I am anxious. I still have it. I'm very uh, 2020s in that way, a real sore thumb in the 2030s, uh, and and part of the panic is is experienced in this museum, right? What kind of better life can I can I leave for my children? So this is a museum daydream.
1: But Midnight Mars of a pay a secret Just a gird against the strife And way back when she'd
3: barely see The sunshine through the rain Then alone no leave something sweet To see her through What could she do?
1: Try to build a little mess Gonna leave
3: it a drill for
0: my kids won't ever know anxiety in their lives they won't make the same mistakes i did i should have planned better for them i should have dared to dream instead i bet on acorns used to be that
3: money bills were green and here on earth trading hands and making deals all safe and sound so i thought i'd place a
1: bet on something mightier than money Little acorns stacked up high above the ground. But by the time I
3: piled up my acorns, plenty tall. All the money gone, it slipped behind the clouds. So I cried aloud.
0: This song is called To the Sky. This is our other great uh, Christmas moment and our only great Christmas podcast episode. Mark, what was some of your thinking behind writing this song?
2: You know, I, I just kind of thought to myself, using your framework for the story of the episode, what is Santa really about? And in the greater world, Santa is all about this bargain of imagination that parents make with their kids where they have to kind of keep up this loving charade or charade, depending on how pompous we want to be. And uh, I kind of looked at the song from that standpoint as, Hey, no matter what happens to Santa and what the fate of a company like Santa's is remember that at the end of the day, it's up to us to, impart any value or meaning to his services as our imagination can. It's up to us. We can't just expect Santa to lift, you know, impossible weight and do these Herculean tasks without some responsibility on our end. And, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I just got kind of swept up in that message and tried to, to write a song where it's like, Hey, Santa's great and all, but you know, what's really great. It's about giving our kids this, uh, idea of imagination and the limitless potential that we as humans have to impart meaning, you know, and pull this wonderful story and, uh, uh, holiday tradition out of thin air which is what humanity did with santa (laughs) sorry to any kids listening who think that santa is real
3: merry christmas can you ship this halfway around the world to a desolate land where there's children don't have to be christian please mr saint nick tell us you can i'm still the father of christmas each year Despite growing distance Now tis the night before And keeping score The north pole outpaces paces every star Not a present lost in the permafrost As elves whiz widely by their jolly emboss For each girl and boy With eyes of light I shall not Go quiet into this good night. Because you can't buy magic, you must believe. So, to all the parents with tricks up their sleeves, keep the wonder and the joy alive, and help all Santa. Take to the sky With their drones And iPhones There's less kids Riding to the old man up north With every wooden gift Swap for computer chip Rudolph's light Stray's father of course I see wish lists For gone For shopping carts And it sure Breaks this poor Santa's heart So notwithstanding The burning and backing of halls I'm incited and slighted In spite of it all I'm gonna ride the sleigh And seize the day Well come on with us What do you say Tonight is just The right time really in their prime because you can't buy magic you must believe so to all the parents with tricks up their sleeves keep the wonder and the joy alive and help old Santa take to the sky Yeah, 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 you can't buy magic You must believe So to all the parents with tricks up their sleeves and the joy alive to help old Santa Take to the sky yeah to help Chris Kringle take to the sky yeah to help oh Santa Take to the to the to the to the, the sky a good night
0: this next song is a is a really really fun one that was in episode 13 which was such a unique episode because we're still traveling to the future right we're still starting in the present having an interview and then going to tomorrow Uh, and in this episode I had the idea for the tomorrow sketch first and it was that we visit a uh, (laughs) but the the joke is it's called a stable genius bar uh, and and it's a store where you can essentially shop for facts on your fact sheet, right? A digital sort of tablet uh, device. And the idea that you can bid on facts and outbid other people for facts obviously renders these things not facts. Um, and so truth uh, becomes something each of the characters in this sketch argue about in this sort of weird tech retail experience. Um And I was so happy with the way that one came out and it had a very big idea in the middle of it, which I think some of our best episodes are able to do, right. Is really build comedy around the idea that I thought that our first act didn't need a sketch. We didn't need a a today's sketch as it were. And so instead we have this really fantastic song about the importance of education (laughs) that you actually know some doggone facts and, uh, and our guest was a, an innovation executive uh, at McGraw Hill. So he stressed the importance of, of knowing facts and and how without guided learning, we'd be factless. Ben, talk to us a little bit about the writing of Hey, School Teacher.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Uh, just from a creative standpoint, at that point, uh, we were still in the thick of sort of uh, the chaos that was early January in, in the States, uh, politically speaking. So I. I was sort of wanting to write a song just from a personal standpoint uh, that so, sort of felt hopeful, optimistic, maybe inspiring, in, in spite of all that's going on uh, with with the COVID crisis and, and the political mayhem. Uh, so I was coming at the episode sort of from that vantage point, uh, just trying to find uh, a song that could kind of give voice to... A single story of of a younger person and, and maybe trying to find some hope in the mix of in the mix of all of this uh you know mis disinformation misinformation which I know we addressed earlier in the season uh so I tried to i I'm, I'm a big Jim croce fan for anyone out there, so I tried to really kind of kind of pull from his spirit for that particular song one
3: two three four. teacher, I don't mean to be an overreacher, the way to learn the words I need ain't always fine, I know truth is out there, I sense the science floating out in the plain air, a golden lesson calling out from the thoroughfare, not just on the line, and I'm doing fine, but I just can't stand Missing from Martinets with apples in hand They are trying to pause in my brain For I take a stand of my own And I want to learn all that I can know Trying to find the way the wind actually blows I don't care if it's online in class or up my nose i teacher. I know you're looking out Help me help myself to find Just what it's all about Online lessons have some rock and roll features. My curiosity's a mythical creature taking flight. Oh, so high, and I'm doing fine, cause I know better than you. Told me, be discerning, I'm a learned leading man. It's the future of the classroom, and I've got a plan of my own. Oh, we got the facts, and we're voting, yes. Teachers lead the quest into a factual treasure chest and all that wealth and knowledge we can finally divest from alternative facts online. Our teacher, start us on the way and we'll be just
0: fine. Finally, you know, I want to say that we're a couple of days out after the the release of our season finale of episode fifteen, and I wrote this in the the newsletter. We addressed this in the opening narration of episode fifteen that I provided. We've I, you know I've addressed this in the in the summary of the episode that appears in uh, on across all platforms: Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Which is that we recorded this. uh, from October, so from September to January and its release is from October to February uh, of 2020 into 2021, which means that we are, we were in the thick of the pandemic, still are, uh, we were in the midst of a t- incredibly contentious, ugly and divisive election, uh, and then a, a, a horrifying, attack on democracy itself, on democracy itself in the form of the insurrection on January 6th, the coup, and then the inauguration of a new president. And this all happened while we were making this show. So the irony of saying what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen tomorrow, I more often than not found myself having conversations about today. And so our timeline that back in episode two took us all the way to 2032 where we're visiting the Hall of America? Excuse me. I've been. You're confusing me, dude. Of the Museum of American Anxiety. But by episode fourteen, the we start all the way back on the Old Testament in a sketch that I'm quite proud of. But but we're, our tomorrow is only a couple months down the line. It's only it's only summer 2021 at that point because it became so difficult not to imagine the future, but to but to try to project onto the future given the intensity and the insanity. Of the present. And so by episode 15, I was hungry to address that and address something very specific for our generation. And this is where kind of the cultural conversation and the like tech conversation kind of intersect for me, which is, you know, I'm 32 years old and I've lived through two entire economic collapses on either end of this decade, as have you guys who are just two years younger than myself. And for our parents' generation, it was many, many decades before, I mean, there were recessions, don't get me wrong, but it was many decades before the entire economy collapsed, not once but twice. It is a stark and confusing time. And just as it was in 2008 into 2009, right? And so that's a very strange feeling that for for me, and the reason I brought up my age a moment ago, to have graduated college and been a newlywed on either end of the, 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 the destruction of the economy as we knew it had it, uh, an emotional significance. I wasn't totally aware of, uh, let me put it this way. It hurt me in a way that I wasn't uh, prepared for. Right. I took, I took these, these collapses personally, um, not just because of uh, not just because of the immediate pain that so many people I love are feeling financially, but because of the ridiculousness of them happening at all, right? It's like every time you have a sort of outgoing Republican administration, is the economy gonna collapse? I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so, and so I felt that if we're gonna think about tomorrow, whatever that might mean, and you're acknowledging, right? Fully, you're completely sober and you're wide awake and you're aware you're still acknowledging today that tomorrow is going to require not just faith, which we talk about in episode 14, not just education that we talk and a common set of facts, which we talked about in episode 13, but the, it's gonna require a leap and a sense of courage. And so we got very meta in this episode and flashed back to 2001, sort of the, the last time I felt in my little corner of the world, things felt, if not safe, then certainly removed from geopolitical events, right? It still felt like we weren't as connected to the the totality of the world. Uh, maybe that's that was only true for me. I mean, it was a very personal story I was trying to tell. And then in this, in the sketch, in the future, uh, the characters of Sally and Matt fully realize that they're just voices Kind of floating through the podcast, either, uh, but it requires the leap. It requires taking a leap and still believing in tomorrow while being aware of today. And it occurred to me that that became kind of a, a thesis, a sort of governing principle for the show. And and Mark, that's when you wrote the the, the closing song of the season, "The Incredible The Leap." Um, so, what was going through your mind as you as you wrote the leap, knowing the purpose it would serve in the context of the season that it, that it would close us out?
2: So first off, I think that this podcast has always been about tomorrow. That sounds obvious given the title, but it's rare that we directly get a moment in the songs to acknowledge that and to really expound upon that theme. So for this coming on the wake of, you know, an an, an inauguration and just all of the uncertainty in the world with COVID and and everything that the last couple of months have brought us to, I just knew that we're talking about an optimistic song here. We're talking about something that is as anthemic as we can get within the confines of this show. And uh, I think that this episode, but really this season and even season one have all been kind of about things look up. The more you stick with something, the more you keep at it, whether it be, you know, Matt's transition in, in his career in season one, or just our gradual uh, adoption of the benefits of technology in our lives in the second season, the, the, The mantra of the show is hey, you have to stick with things and you have to be ready to take that first step forward. And so the leap was really just an extension of that. I tried to write it from the perspective of all of us, not just as members within this podcast's universe, but also just as people going through trying to, you know, survive 2021, you know, the same way that we survived 2020 it's a time for big changes in the world and those start with us. So we have to take the leap. And, uh, I, I hope that, uh, it resonates as much with the podcast listeners as it does with me, because I think that this is again, one of those that it's, it's hard not to see its reflection of me when I, when I finish writing it, it's, it's hard not to view it from a personal lens you know, to your point, Matt, about, you know, it's hard to view some of those episodes when not thinking about it. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm writing from my perspective, even if it's your character. Sometimes you get personally invested in it. And I think that The Leap is is one example of a song like that, where you have to put a little heart in in order to get the song out. And I hope that comes across when listening to it.
0: Mark, Ben, this has been such a pleasure. I I love working with you guys all these years. Uh, happy impending anniversary. You are as a band. I feel like you and I could do a whole other episode just about the score and the incredible you work you've done as a composer. But uh, the band is the Academy Blues Project, whose members are these fine gentlemen: Mark Levy, Ben Easton, and Trevor Brown, and Jim Bloom. Uh, these two brilliant folks are our songwriters and, and, and lyricists, uh, Mark Levy and Ben Easton. Ben, as I've mentioned just a moment ago, you are also our composer and, uh, without you, there wouldn't be the same show. There probably wouldn't even be a show. So thank you, uh, so much for all your continued excellent work. And I'm happy we could kind of offer our listeners, not just a, a glimpse of how we work together and the way we decide on what stories we'd like to tell, but just on how, Slow and iterative, this process has been, where we took what was this live experience and turned it into an intimate podcast experience, but kept the voice and and kept the sound. So much of which is propelled by and and created by you. So thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a been a journey in in the best uh, in the best possible way, Uh, from from the workflow to to the creative. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're, we're still, we're still keeping on.
2: And, uh, to, to reiterate a point that I know that I've said to you, you know, verbatim on many occasions, Matt, if we weren't having so much fun, we wouldn't still be doing it. <laughs>
0: Here is the leap.
3: I've been too complacent for far too long. I've been buying time Get ahead and take my place At the start of the race Starting now, starting here, today I won't be impatient as the days take on Cause by then I'll be gone I have no fear that I could be at night And I want to set things right Time waits for no one Best put up a fight Begin today Tomorrow's tasks Take a chance is all I ask No zip God, No parachute To save my life Well no man. Never looked less cool in the shallow side of the pool. I won't let today make me yesterday's fool. Taking a high.
0: I love it. And uh, today is, uh, well, I won't say what today is, but but the day this is being released uh, is going to be Thursday, February the 4th. What is happening shortly thereafter? For all of our listeners who are, who are on their, their apps right now and are hungry for new music, what do you have to tell them?
2: All right. Well, Ladies and gentlemen of the podcast listening audience, we, the Academy Blues Project, are releasing our first full-length studio album on Friday, the 5th of February. So if you are interested in our music and have enjoyed any of the music you've heard in seasons one and two of Live From Tomorrow, then by all means, uh, we invite you to check it out. It's uh, available on all of your favorite listening platforms so you could find it probably immediately after you listen to this podcast whether it be through spotify or apple music what have you uh but you can also if you want to read more about the album and and just kind of learn a little bit more about the band you could find all of that wonderful information on our website the academy blues and hey, if
1: Mark, what's
2: the album many- called Oh, of course. <laughs> the album is called The Neon Grotto. Ooh, so we hope you enjoy it as much as uh, we enjoyed making it. And uh, hopefully you can uh, find echoes of our uh, music in the podcast in the music that we release outside of the podcast. And we hope that you like both.
0: The album is The Neon Grotto. The show is all about tomorrow. Tomorrow. If you're listening to this podcast, the very day it comes out, then you should be going and downloading the Neon Grotto tomorrow. Uh, The artists are Ben Easton and Mark Levy. Thank you so much. We'll see you all soon. Thank you, everybody. Take care, everyone. Thanks.